Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. All right, welcome back to the Do Divorce Right podcast. It is really my pleasure to have an extremely accomplished person on the podcast today. Dr. Jody is a psychotherapist, a spiritual mentor, an author and podcaster herself. The book and the podcast are both called Anxiety. I'm so done with you. The Gen Z's Guide to Ditching Stress and Hardwiring Your Brain for Happiness. Now, Jody, I don't feel like I could possibly do justice to your incredible accomplishments, but I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Becca. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be a, a good conversation. I could feel it. For sure. Um, the reason I reached out to ask if you'd be willing to come on the podcast, and honestly, you're the first person I've ever reached out to cold calling. I've not done that before. You said yes. I was like, oh, is this how that works? <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, I don't pick everybody. I don't. I just, something oh, spoke to me about um about this reach out that I was like, oh, that sounds like something I could help people. I agree. Ooh. So yeah. grateful. I was listening to your podcast and obviously I felt that there was a lot in that. And I want my listeners to, to jump on and listen to you. Um, specifically around the area of kind of teens and tweens. And I talk to a lot of women mostly who are going through divorce and separation and often they're parenting and they're faced with these struggles that they, that are challenging them as parents and I thought well I'll just go straight to the top and <laughs> I'll ask you for some help that's great I've been working with uh families in that transition for 25 years so yeah would you mind giving us a little bit of background I I tried to kind of I looked at all of your bio and everything you've done. I was, I don't even know where to start. And where I'm most really interested to know just from a like a personal point of view is I'm really curious around the spiritual mentor piece. What does that mean? What does that look like? How did you get there? And how did you pivot to teens? Like there's so much yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm a social worker. So social workers by nature are multi-passionate and so I uh, went to social work school, but I graduated in 1996. So I've been doing therapy and working with families uh, and families in all kinds of transitions for yeah. all of this time. So that's a long, I'm aging myself here, but yeah, that was a long time. And I, you know, had my own struggles as most people do in this life. And I, in, in talking to my clients and in thinking and, and observing myself going through my own processes, I noticed that we're asking these big questions, like, why does this happen? And what's the point? And, and these things are big questions. Those are spiritual questions that people oh, sure. ask. 
And when, especially when they're in, in huge difficulty or in crisis, they're asking these bigger questions. And so psychology really is, is a science of the soul. That's what the word psychology comes from, you know, the science of the soul. And so getting back to that, getting, getting the psychotherapy and counseling back to that spiritual sense, because you have to start where the client is. Yeah. So yeah. I don't necessarily impose anything on anybody. I I don't mean necessarily take that word out. I don't impose anything on anybody. But when people are coming to therapy and they're going through hard times, their faith is a huge part of their process. And so whatever they bring in to the session with them, I'm uh, able to um, to use in in terms of uh, in that story of helping them find their way out. Uh, and so. In my own work, in my own life, I've really tried to re-indigenize myself and get closer to the earth and in understanding the connection uh, that I have in connecting with my own ancestors from I'm uh, my my ancestry is from Italy, hundred percent. So right. uh, getting to know that folk uh, faith that that n- not religion but spirituality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Amazing. It's like I was reading through all of your um, where you've studied and you've gone off to China, to Mexico, to all different parts of the planet teaching and learning. So I, I love being around smart women. So I just like I just want to soak you oh, up. Thank you. <laughs> I've been to um, Australia a lot of times, like my main teacher is in Australia. So oh, great. Um, I feel like I haven't really spent as much time in Australia. I've spent I mean, I'm from Australia and I'm based here now. But I've lived in Europe, I've lived in Asia, so I've only been here. It feels like a short while. Um, I wanted to ask you too, how did you decide to focus on teens specifically? So I can see that you've got, you've got five books, but the most recent one and the, the focus of your podcast is around helping teens manage anxiety. Where, why did that become a passion point for you? Uh, I think because I knew how bad they were struggling. I work with a lot of teenagers. I knew how bad that they were struggling. And and it, it's a result of modern times. I think it started with my TEDx talk. So my TEDx Wilmington talk was about calming anxious kids. Yeah. So I was already speaking out about anxiety. I felt like at one point when I started making videos for YouTube, like whatever, 11, 12 years ago, I was like, I could go to couples, I could go to uh, parenting, or I could work on anxiety. And it was, I knew that long ago that this was becoming such a huge uh, problem for everybody. It's a problem that comes with all other problems, really. And so I, I had the tools to help people recover from anxiety. And so that's where I went to do, to helping them. And then obviously because I was working with families so much and I saw so many young people struggling and, and saw the mechanisms of our, of our culture that, that increased the anxiety. And then COVID hit, of course, which multiplied it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so my book was coming out before that happened. It came out the summer, the first summer that, uh, of the pandemic. And so it was perfect timing. And all along, I wanted to do the podcast, but I also, uh, I went back for my doctorate and my project for school was to create a curriculum. I started talking to people when the book came out and thinking about how could I get this out there in a bigger way? Because teens aren't reading, you know? So um, I knew I had to make- Parents of teens very rarely are, right? It's it's not like they're seeking out 
a book necessarily to help guide them, but they're definitely seeking out help. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This book is read by counselors and parents Mm -hmm. and educators, as well as the teenagers, the voices to the teenager. But, you know, so I wanted to get the in schools. I heard some young people when when they Mm -hmm. read my book initially, they're like, why aren't we reading this in school? This is what we should be reading instead of other stuff because they're struggling so much. And this had information that helped them get better. It helped them think about anxiety a whole different way. And that is how I help people get better with anxiety is I I help them understand it because the way that our culture understands anxiety is entirely unhelpful and makes them worse. So I wanted to create a curriculum that they could teach in school. And so that's what I'm I'm on the tail end of working on now to get it out there um, for this fall. Help me understand, you you said that society doesn't understand anxiety or doesn't I, I didn't capture the words exactly, but in what way is society not helping us understand anxiety? I think that we think of it as a pathology or a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And while it is because it's an illness of emotions or, you know, your mind and thinking part of your mind, it's not a mental illness in the traditional sense. It's that, that, that medical model that this is an illness that you've did, that you have and you have to learn how to manage it um, is not a helpful idea because then people think that they're different than other people. Mm-hmm. When Once you think you're different than other people, there's a lot of stories that come with that. Like, why am I different? And it feels terrible. And okay, this means that I, it's like labeling sure. and it creates a narrative about yourself that you can't uh, and that inhibits you from getting better. And so even in, so I, I targeted my, my um, curriculum to health class. So in, in the U.S., everybody, all junior high students and, and high school students take health class. And so they do a mental health unit, but in their mental health unit, they're still teaching. These are not mental health practitioners, they're health um, teachers or even gym, you know, physical education teachers. And they're teaching that there's regular anxiety and then there's, there's a uh, regular worry like everyday worry. And then there's anxiety disorder as if it's something different, but anxiety, the way that it's coming on and increasing in our culture, it's not an anxiety disorder. It's a regular human response to our world today. And that makes all the difference because you, you hear that your friend has anxiety because they're joking about it, but you think that that's different than your anxiety. And you kind of sometimes get mad at them because they're making light of it or something and you're really suffering. What, what What's really going on is they're actually suffering too yeah. and may have different triggers, but they're actually suffering and maybe they make a quip about it. But um, so it's dividing people and, um, and making them confused. They don't know why they have it. So if you explain to them what anxiety really is, why they have it, the judgment goes away because judgment is a huge distraction from us healing ourselves. And so that's, um, that's my mission. (laughs) I love the language you've just used here, which really normalizes it. The language you've used was it's a regular human response to our world today. And doesn't that just normalize it for everybody, which is my experience of anxiety is going to be different to yours, but I'm going to have it because it's a regular response. It's a a perfectly human response. 
I it looks different because there's different levels of adrenaline and different effects of adrenaline on us. And it also, we have different triggers. So it seems so different, but it's really the same mechanism and the same problem. We're just looking, we're just noticing a, a different problem. I love that. I, let's get to helping um, the listeners of the, you know, women who are going through divorce. Um, I've given a couple of scenarios here that are just super common. And I know I shared with them, shared them with you already. And you said, yeah, I've dealt with these scenarios. Um, and I think this will really help just play out um, some examples of where as parents who are navigating a really tricky time ourselves, we can help our children manage their anxiety through this. So this first scenario I wanted to share with you sounds super specific, but it is so common and I hope you agree with me. I, I see yep. this in so many families with multiple siblings. So this scenario is um, we've got a couple of siblings. One idolizes the the parent usually the ex-husband you know idolizes the parent that they spend perhaps a bit less time with and the other sibling holds a real issue with that they the they themselves have either have just had a completely different experience and have some anger towards that parent and there's just very little room for the space for their sibling to have had a different experience so this is creating a lot of anxiety in the home it's creating a lot of tension in the home how can parents best manage this when there's just so much tension and ugliness between these two siblings and their different relationships with their parent. Yeah. Well, not to put more on the parent's plate, but it, they may have, they already may be doing this, especially through a transition like divorce, but spending some alone time with each kid is by far one of the best things that you could do because it's a good time to check in. It's a good time to give them some attention. It's a good time to help them create meaning around what they're going through. You know, kids are trying to create meaning. We go through something hard and we have to figure out like how to process that in our head. And so we need adults or kids need adults <laughs> uh, to <laughs> help <do>. them <laughs> know how to make meaning around that, how to understand that. And so if the, if when you're going through a divorce, if you could try to, maybe a lot of people are already doing that, but try to have some one-on-one -on -one time with each kid. I know that's hard. It doesn't have to be long. It could be very short and a special thing. And that would really help them get through. But also it gives you opportunity to check in and also opportunity to influence where their mind's going, what kind of problems, because if they're anxious, so when people are anxious, their mind is like, okay, something's wrong. Look for a problem. And it's very easy, especially going through a, a, a thing, a, this uh, experience It's very easy to find something. And so it might be anger at a sibling because it's mm. like, that's an easy fight to pick, or that's an easy thing to be like, yeah, that's what uh, it's upsetting me. Um, and so, so helping them. And then when if so, if one child was angry at their sibling because they're being the peacemaker or being nice to the other parent when the parent doesn't deserve them to be nice or whatever, that you're as a parent, you could help your child have compassion. You know, take a step back and see the scenario and really understand and maybe have some compassion for their sibling so that they grow that tolerance. Or, you know, just really be talking about that anxiety and what else they might be anxious about 
and are and are um and are using this because it's an easier thing to be angry about or whatever you know yeah so i love that creating compassion for the sibling i mean of course it requires emotional maturity and we're talking about tweens and teens who are themselves like you say trying to create meaning about what's going on here how how is this working um there is a lot of anxiety when families are going through divorce and i I guess that that example we just spoke about is a really common symptom right that that anger comes out because actually there's something underneath that so yeah. I love what we've said there like the, you, you're as a parent you're seeing this anger you're seeing this frustration between the two of them if somehow we can isolate each of the children in order to connect with them again talk to them about what's going on try to help them understand and have compassion that there are, is plenty of space for people to have different experiences through this, right? That's the building the compassion for their sibling, which is it is possible for you to feel this way and to feel worry and concern and anger at times, while at the same time it is possible for your sibling to feel differently. And there's, you know, legitimate space. And that might be what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That might be what they need to do. That might be their, their way to cope or their way to handle it. And so when, when people understand other people and their motives, it helps them be kinder and more tolerant to them. And so it's a, it's a teaching opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Help me understand that um, when we understand other people's motives. So I'm trying to put myself, I'm trying as, as the parent who's trying to communicate to these two teens, <laughs> they don't want to find a compassion for the other necessarily. How do we create the space for them to want to understand the other person's point of view? It's so tricky. I know you're not necessarily a parenting expert, but the reason I'm asking you about this is because I believe that anger comes from anxiety. I believe it's coming from a place of not feeling safe, of, you know, feeling concern and worry. So any suggestions? I just have you feel out of control. Anxiety issues are control issues. So they're triggered by feeling powerless. And a child going through divorce is going to feel powerless. And then they're going to try to grab power somewhere. And so some kids would choose a sibling because it's a little bit safer, right? So if they are... or if they reject one of the parents, some, some do that actually, but some don't want to reject the parents and want to uh, create peace. That's their way of trying to regain their own control in a situation that feels totally out of control. So people pick different ways to try to grab control. Some of it is maladaptive and hurts other people. And some of it is peacekeeping or people pleasing. And some of it's good. I mean, I'm not saying that that's bad either. Uh, There's just this whole gamut. There's a million different ways you could try to get power in your life. And it could be an eating disorder, which is really unfortunate. You know, there's, there's so many different ways that kids try to, they might bully someone at school or they might um, get into a relationship where they're being uh, uh, victimized. So there's a lot of different ways we try to get control uh, of our life when we're feeling powerless. And so for a parent, I'm a parent coach too. So I, I coach parents through all kinds of things. So I do have that experience, but they need to be close to yeah. have the first row seat to what their kids are going through so they could intervene when they need to. So that 
time, one-on-one time with each kid is going to be very, very important because you want to know how are they reacting? How are they coping? um, Where are they putting, when they're feeling anxious and powerless, they might not even call it anxiety. They might just feel uncomfortable because they feel out of control and then they clean the room or maybe they might have some OCD uh, behavior during this time or something like that. You want to have a first row seat so that you could help them dismantle those needs for control and have them see where their personal agency is, where they actually do have control uh, so that they don't, you know, kind of take out these uh, control grasping behaviors on things that are not helpful to them, namely fighting with their sibling. So taking a step back, as you asked me a question before about how do you help them have compassion? And you said it's, it's a mature, you know, we could teach kids compassion starting at age two. We could have them learn empathy. Like when someone's hurt, we go over and we see if we could help them, you know, so kids could start to learn to have compassion and what to do to somebody if they're hurting uh, from a very young age, you don't have to have the maturity, but, but in, in some kids don't learn it and you want to teach them, but the trick is they need to take a step back. Sometimes they're so close to the situation that it feels out of control and chaotic, and it's hard for them to respond with any kind of emotional maturity. And so you want to first, so there's three steps in the process is being able to first, they need compassion. When you are too close and chaotic and feeling out of control, you need a lot of compassion. So as a parent, I would give my child a lot of validation for what they're feeling, a lot of compassion, understanding. Yes, I feel the same way, whatever those kind of, I understand how you're feeling. That makes a lot of sense. That's that's exactly what people would feel in this kind of situation. These kind of validating comments will help them feel validated And then they don't have to grasp so tight when they're validated. So if somebody is really frustrated and they're trying to explain how upset they are and you're like playing devil's advocate and be like, but, but it's not that bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're saying that kind of stuff, they have to up the ante and convince you how bad it is. So they're going to attach to the problem more. Yeah. Right. They're going to attach, 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 grab it more, grab it more. Cause they have to, you know, they're feeling invalidated by that. Uh, that's what mistake parents often make. They want to fix the problem, but they have to validate that problem first, right? So they have to validate the person first so that they could take a step back. So they need validation or compassion first, and then you could invite them to take a step back Mm -hmm. and see the situation from a little bit of a distance, a a larger picture view Mm -hmm. where they're not so caught up in the emotions of it. They have a whole different perspective and they could really understand people from that perspective, but it's going to help them their whole life if they know how to read people. As parents, we're teaching our kids how to read the world and how to read other people is an important piece of that. For sure. So compassion, number two, okay. is then invite them to take a step back. And, and how do you do that? You say, well, you might, you might give, there's a lot of different ways to do it. One is you might say like, well, how would you feel if that happened to you? You invite them to, to be empathetic. Um, you invite them at that distance to be like, okay, so imagine this person, you know, you take it to somebody else, their sibling, imagine this person who's going through this experience and they feel really scared. And because they're really scared that this person, that their father might go away, they try to welcome them back. You know, you're you're giving them the scenario, but through a different 
lens. Yeah, I love so using that. So what advice would you give your best friend if they were going through this right now? You know, I love being able to offer them. Yeah, that is another way about. to invite them. Right. Yeah. Another way to invite them from distance. So there's a way to invite them to see themselves from a distance and a way to help them see other people. So they have compassion for other people for that, from that distance. Yeah. And, or you could do both in the scenario. And then the third step is then they could decide how they want to respond. So mm -hmm. compassion, take a step back, decide how to respond. And you could brainstorm with them different rate ways instead of like giving advice. I like to tell parents, you know, have brainstorm sessions. Yeah. Instead of them. giving advice. Because you want to have control, these. Right. You're allowing them to have some agency over. You, exactly. You but you're, you're like a co. You're power and control. They're not alone doing it. It's not like yeah. you figure it out or I'm going to tell you what to do. It's like, all right, let's brainstorm different ideas about how you could respond and then imagine what might happen with each of those responses. But you're teaching them to see that there's different options, right? Yeah. Teaching yeah. kids to brainstorm is an incredible skill because what anxiety does is it pinpoints a problem and said, that's the problem. That's the meaning. That's what we, how should we think of it how we should think about it? And that's what we should, we should, um, and, there's and no then other the desperation way comes. Yeah. Yeah. But we want to teach our kids to brainstorm because then we're using that prefrontal cortex and they're developing these skills in meaning making and understanding and see things from different and seeing things from different ways, you know. And that's going to be incredibly important in their mental health their whole life. Yeah, that's incredible. That is so fabulous. I love this. Jody, you've been so generous with your advice here. I love it. I love, love, love it. Um Another really common scenario then is when you don't have answers to the questions and you can see that this is winding your children up, right? Your, your young people, they need to know what's going to happen. Like, do I have to move schools? Are we moving out? Like, is dad moving out? And we don't always have the, the answers for them. So how would you, what advice would you give to navigate that to reduce anxiety as much as possible when you simply can't tell them what you don't know or what they want to know? I would, you know, as far as you can, wait till you have some answers before you tell them mm. what's going to happen, you know, that the, that the separation is coming because, and I, I know things change later, but it, as far as you can, wait till you know, and you have those plans in place before you tell them about, about the divorce, because you're correct. This creates the most anxiety that I see is not knowing what's going to happen. And sometimes sometimes I find that when kids come to me, the parents do have those answers. And maybe they've said them at one time, but yeah. they the kid didn't process them. And so there's a lot of anxiety. And when I ask them, like, what are you anxious about? They say, well, I don't know where I'm living. I don't know where. And sometimes the parents have those answers, but they didn't know that's why the kid was anxious because they didn't wow. say, what? what are you anxious right. about? <laughs> so maybe communicate and over-communicate. So once you've got the answers, make sure you're checking in. Have you understood what we've shared with you? How do you feel about this? Like, you know, have, yeah. what have you heard? And always what ask that question. Thing? If someone, if their child's anxious, always ask, what are you anxious about? What are you most worried about? Hmm. Uh, I, it People don't ask that, hmm. you know, sometimes I guess, but. Well, I'm not sure we always think of it. And and you were saying earlier, anxiety can sometimes have such a terrible label to it. So we don't want to offer that label to your child and say, what are you anxious about? They're like, oh, am I broken? What's what's wrong with me? Yeah. I, have I got anxiety? 
So I think that's a really interesting opener too, which is, are you worried about something? Is there something on your mind? What are you, what are you worrying about at the moment? Um, you know, have we answered all of your questions? I also like, I talk to my clients about um, age appropriateness of having the conversation, certainly answering as many of the questions or aligning before you have the conversation about what's going to happen. Um, but even sharing sometimes when you're not sure and modeling how you can calmly approach the unknown and allow yourself to acknowledge this makes me a little bit nervous because I'm not really sure what's going to happen here. I feel uncomfortable about it, but I'm also quite confident that we're going to make it through. Let's continue to keep the doors open. Let's continue to talk to each other. What would you, would you add anything to that? So they're talking to their, their um, saying they're talking to teens and saying, I'm just kind of modeling that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay when we don't have the answers, it's okay to not be okay about it, but let's have some optimism and let's continue, you know, keeping that conversation open. Is there anything we'd add? Yeah, I think that, I think that that is great. I think that's, you know, when you say I'm, you know, if you say I'm devastated, it's just like, it's just like if there was a thought leader who talked about their story, but they were still in the depths of the pain and they left the audience in the depths of the pain and say, I'm, I'm wrecked, you know, and, and, um, and I don't know what I'm going to do. If someone was a motivational speaker, that would be mm. awful. You would just, <laughs> but you, you want to talk about the depth of the pain to see the distance that you made because you're telling them that you came out of it and this is how, and in that it's possible. And, um, so it helps that, so you don't leave them there. Yeah. You know, you don't speak publicly about devastation until you have some, if you're, if your attempt, if your um, if your goal is to help people motivate people or support people or help people feel better. I mean, people do share their devastation on social media, but that's not their goal. You know, they're not like thought leaders who are trying to, or, or an author or something like that. They're just like people. Yeah telling people that they, you know, their house burned down or something. But if you, so as a parent, you need to think about that because you are the leader, you are the inspirer and you are the person who they look to for confidence. And so modeling that confidence, mm -hmm. like we are going to get through, we could get through anything. I'm going to figure it out. Like I have modeling that confidence, even if you don't feel it. Yes. Modeling the confidence or expressing that confidence, like you know, there's things I might not know that we're going to have to decide, but, you know, we're going to, I'm really confident in myself. So I like that you use those words. I'm really confident in myself. And so if you have any questions, you know, come to me because I'm, I know that I'm really good at solving problems. I'm really good at figuring it out. I'm really good at thinking about you and putting you first. And so those skills are not going away because I'm going through the separation. Those are going to be something that I'm going to, are my anchor right now and my tether. Great language. I love all of those um, statements there, I think we'll put them on little affirmation cards. Like, I am strong. We've gotten through things like this before. I'm great at putting you first. I'm great at anticipating, you know, how to overcome challenges. We've got this beautiful language, right? Even they need that modeling. You don't necessarily feel it. It's great to use this language. It also helps reprogramming it for, for yourself. It's really true because we are highly adaptable. Humans are highly adaptable, but we have this culture that brings a lot of self-doubt in. 
So we're walking around and our teens are walking around with a huge amount of self-doubt. So modeling confidence in our abilities to adapt to hard situations is, is vital for young people because that's what they're missing. That's why anxiety is going so high is because they have all these messages of self-doubt and powerlessness without the reminders that they have this brain that's evolved for millions of years to adapt and problem solve. And they're amazing. They're so much more amazing than they think that they are. And as parents, we have all the self-doubt, especially going through this experience. But yeah, we need that too, right? Confidence in ourselves because we are amazing at going through hard times. Yeah, indeed. That's so true. Do you feel that, I mean, we were talking about modeling confidence. I worry that there's actually a lot of confidence modeled in the social media space that feels inauthentic. You know, I don't want to be piling on examples of, you know, everything's great. Look how good I am at everything. And then they see us, you know, crying in the in the spare room. Um, how do we make sure that that's authentic confidence and not, and, and allowing them to believe that they have the power? I mean, I feel like we're- It's confidence in our adaptability. Yeah. You know, it's, our, it's confidence and faith in ourselves that we'll get through it. That doesn't mean we're not human and we're not feeling the pain. So there's like so a dual story that. going on, right? So there's that dual story. Like, of course, we're feeling it. We're human. This is a regular human reaction that I'm sad about this, but I also could have confidence. There are two different things, really. It's not like everything's fine. Or some people are so relieved after they're separated. And sure. So that's hard for kids too, because they're like, I'm happy. I've never been happy. Are you kidding? You don't want to post that on social media if you have kids, because that's, they're going through this grieving process and that would be hurtful. So you, you want to be a little more sensitive. Yeah. So you could go through this. Mostly people are grieving, even though it's better for them. The divorce is better for them in the long run, or even currently, because that person wasn't very nice and it's nice to not live with them anymore. You want to be a little bit more sensitive and careful because it's yeah. still a hard time as well for you. And you're figuring out, you well, know, sure. doing the kids the alone and all that stuff. Inevitable. And, yeah. And sharing them with him. And, you know, and there's so many pieces of it. So of course it's a hard time, even though it's a good thing. And so you want to, you want to model like, yes, this is, you know, my heart is broken, but I could, there's, I'm able to get through this in the best possible way. And and I'm committed to that. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be some bad days for all of us. That's regular human reaction to our situation. You're normalizing that again, but also having such faith that even, uh, even the hard days, you know, things change, even the hard days pass and there'll be better days. And, and we could take some action to make better days for ourselves and have faith in ourselves for doing that. So yeah, it is a little tricky, but I'm so pleased I asked that question because I <laughs> feel like we needed to hear that answer. We are not modeling inauthentic confidence. We're actually modeling that this is perfectly normal. We're modeling the confidence in our ability to get through it. Exactly. Beautiful. I love that. Jody, there are so many incredible um uh tools and resources that you offer people in your world like I've seen that you've got quite a few downloads there's obviously the book you've got the podcast how else should how would you prefer that people stay in your world where how do you want us to um 
Oh, thank you. I, I think I'm really trying to grow my YouTube channel and putting okay, some great. things out. So come and uh, subscribe to me there. You also could get, I have a, um, on my website, jodyamon.com. I have a, uh, a couple freebies, one for anxiety and one for, um, you know, a lot of people are growing that skill and empathy. So they have, they're very sensitive. So most of the people I work with are very sensitive. That's because most people are increasingly sensitive. Uh, and so I have an energy shield, like a protection, because I think that's important, especially through divorce. If the other person's being a little cranky, mm -hmm. that would be a really good time to get your energy field supported and connect to the field around you. So you feel supported during this time. So that would be a great, um, great, uh, resource Absolutely. for everybody. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much. You, I'll, I'll put this no in the problem. show. If you have notes. a teen, if you have a teen, thank you so much. Sorry about, I don't mean to interrupt, but if you have a teen, listen to my podcast, yes. if they're not going to, at least you're equipped with some of the information about how to help them with anxiety and you're in, you'll be in a good position to help them or, you know, let them listen to it. Yeah, I agree. I've been binging it and I absolutely love it. It's so helpful. Thank you again for your time and your generous sharing of your advice. Um, I so appreciate it. Jody. thank you so much. Thanks, Becca. It's been great. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright.com. I look forward to connecting with you there.